Hello and welcome. I'm Trumpetman, and you're listening to the 40 Card College Podcast, a podcast about advancing your limited game, whether you're a first-time drafter or a trophy master. So today on the podcast, we are going to be talking all about One Sealed. Now, this past weekend, there was a weekend qualifier on MTG Arena, so that was all uh, One Sealed. So I've been you know, practicing for that, playing for that, and have a decent amount of experience now that I want to share with you all, especially with the Arena Open coming up um, next weekend. So looking forward to that. And with any uh, Arena Open, you have the option of best of one or best of three in terms of sealed on day one. And uh, I'm going to get into the nitty gritty of uh, sealed in general. I do think in this format, in particular, just up front before we get into things, if you're going to be playing best of one, I think the rules of engagement with draft do still apply a little bit more because of the hand smoother. So you still kind of want to include a few extra two and three drops if you can to try to make sure you're always, you know, stopping your opponent from snowballing. Um, But that's going to be true in either case. So, you know, really at the end of the day, the advice that I give you uh, in this episode can be applied to either best or one or best of three. And you should basically just play whichever one you prefer. And then, of course, day two of the arena open is draft. So we've been talking a lot about one draft. So you can refer to the last few episodes where we dive deep on all of that. Okay, so we'll be talking about sealed. But before we jump into everything there, a quick word on the Patreon. This show is listener supported via the fine folks at Patreon, the patrons supporting 40 Card College directly. Thank you all so much for supporting the show. I really appreciate the support. Now, the resources here, including this podcast, uh, will always be free. Uh, Everything else you can find at 40cardcollege.com or in this episode's show notes. However, if you have found value here and you want to give back to get access to some bonus perks, check out the Patreon at patreon.com slash 40cardcollege. Some of those perks include shoutouts on this podcast, like this week. Shout out to Johan. Thank you so much for your support all the way up to coaching sessions uh, at the highest tier and everything in between. Now, one thing I do want to draw attention to uh, that's not part of the Patreon, but is kind of part of the core of the community is the Discord. So the Discord is free. Uh, Again, that link is in the show notes or on the website. You can check it out there. But it's really kind of growing very quickly these days. Uh, There's a ton of discussions going on with one sealed uh, people posting what's the builds, one draft. So if you have any interest in uh, sort of connecting with the community and, you know, checking in there, then feel free to join the free Discord. We'd love to have you. All right, before we get into uh, the one sealed, I do want to do a crack a pack. And I've been doing just uh, pick one, pack one, but we are a few weeks into the format now. So what I'm going to be doing, I'm going to be going picks one through four here, and I'm not going to be saying every single card. Uh, because you do know most of the commons and uncommons by name at this point. I'll just give a brief overview of the very best ones. And that way we can get an idea of what it means to sort of stay open, pivot, all this. And it's probably where I'm headed with the crack of packs from this point forward. So we open up our pack. Uh, notable commons, we see Whisper of the Dross. That's a single black, minus one, minus one, proliferate. A uh, decent card, but not something I want to first pick. We do see Barbed Batterfist, the two mana, three, one for Mirrodin equipment. That gives plus one, minus one. So that card is my most drafted common. Actually, I was just looking at it. Love that card. I wouldn't hate first picking it out of a pack, but I'd be pretty unhappy. I'm hoping to find something better, maybe some sort of interaction or better uncommon. 
There's also Contagious Vorak, um, generically just one of the best commons in the set. I tend to not like starting with a Vorak because while it is just generically powerful, it doesn't really give you a direction. And then sometimes green is contested, though I have found recently green is more open as sort of the red as red and white is a little bit more contested these days. And I'm more open to like green black, um, even in crazy scenarios, green blue, though that's not where I want to start. So right now I would take the Vorak over the Barb Batter Fist. However, we have a better front runner here in Hex Gold Slash, which for my money is just the best common to start with any draft. So Hex Gold Slash, the two damage shock or four if the creature's toxic, just a fantastic piece of interaction. Um, and I'd be happy to first pick that out of uh, basically any pack if there's not a bomb rare. So that's where we're at right now. Now we do get to the uncommons. There's a couple of note. There's the Swooping Lookout, which is the one mana one two flying vigilance. Good card, but I like Hex Gold Slash more. And then there's Tamiyo's Immobilizer, which is the Icy Manipulator variant. Again, good card. It's in the worst color. I do really like it in the blue-white artifacts deck. But again, I think Hex Gold Slash just leaves you the most open of all these options so far. So that's what I would take. However, we know that the bombs are good in this format. And of course, uh, sometimes you are going to open one. And we opened a good one here. Uh, the Eternal Wanderer, the Planeswalker that comes in, can wipe the board, makes samurai, blink things. So Windmill Slam, the Eternal Wanderer, start with that. Our next pack, we're looking, and really this is a lot weaker of a pack. So after the Eternal Wanderer, commons of note, we have a Surgical Spell Bomb. So again, not really something you want to start with. And honestly, that's it. Like all the commons here are really just... And so our uncommons of note, Atraxa Skitterfang, that's a 3-mana 2-2 that comes in with oil. And you can remove counters to give something temporarily flying, Vigilance, Death Touch, or Lifelink. I found Atraxa Skitterfang to be quite good, and the only uh, the other uncommons are Plated Onslaught, the Pump Spell, and Against All Odds, the Blink and Reanimate kind of card, which I think is good, and is a nice follow-up to the Eternal Wanderer because it's on color, but it does require some building around. Now, the rare is still in the pack, which is the Monumental Facade. It's the land that comes in with the oil, and you can move the oil counters around from it. With all of that, I think... You know, we want to play the Eternal Wanderer pretty much no matter what, but I do think Atraxas Skitterfang is not only the best card, but is colorless. So it's going to give us the most flexibility moving forward. So if we scoop that up, we have now the Eternal Wanderer and Atraxas Skitterfang. Now, going to pack three, uh, again, not too many commons of note. There's an Oil Gorger Troll, which I don't really like in green-white. And the reason I mentioned, you know, green-white specifically... I think it would be a mistake to not play the Eternal Wanderer, if at all possible, just because when you have a card of that high power level, I really want to warp my draft around it if I can, because you're just going to win so many games by playing that card. So yeah, Oil Gorge Patrol, not super interested in that here. There is a Whispers of the Dross, another one of those, the minus one, minus one proliferate. I think that one's decent to take. It combos with our first two cards and White Black Toxic is a bit of a slower deck trying to get corrupted online. Eternal Wanderer fits into that style of gameplay very well. So I have noted that. There's also a Malkator's Watcher. It's the 1-1 Flying Vigilance uh, when it dries draw, draw a card. So that could work if we want to move into more like a blue-white artifact route. Though I think I like taking Whispers of Dross over that for flexibility. Um, but then at Uncommon, we do have a Hexgold Halberd. That's the one in red 
for Mirrodin equipment. And it, as long as it's your turn, the equipped creature has first strike and trample, and it has equip two and a red. So that's actually, I think, going to leave us the most open again because it's the most generically powerful card. Red-white, I think, is one of the best archetypes. So if we take that here, then we're kind of leaning to red-white, but I wouldn't be too remiss if we have to ditch the Hexgold Halberd for something better. However, it is a third pick Halberd compared to the first pick Eternal Wanderer. So if anything, red is going to be maybe more open than white just in terms of the signals we've been seeing because the last pack didn't really have any good white cards. So rounding things out with pick four, what do we have here? Well, at common, we do have a Basilica Shepherd. Um, so that's the five mana three through flyer that comes with two mites. That is one of the premium commons. So really happy to see that. There's also a Ruthless Predation, the Green Fight Spell, Mesmerizing Dose, the Blue Claustrophobia variant. Those are really the commons of note. So not only is, I think, Basilica Shepherd the best card there, but it fits our uh, plan the best. So we're happy with that. And then really not any uncommons. Um, two of them are missing and the rare. And the uncommon still in the pack is Voidwing Hybrid, which is the blue-black gold card. Now, it'd be interesting because if this pack didn't really have anything for us, and we had a weaker start, because I would say Eternal Wanderer, Traxxas Skitterfang, Hexgold Halberd is like an 80th or 90th percentile start, like really, really good start to the draft. Um, but if, you know, if you just didn't see the bomb rares, didn't get insane first few picks, I wouldn't hesitate maybe to take, or I'd be less hesitant to actually speculate on Voidwing Hybrid. Like, I think finding an open lane and getting really powerful uncommons, especially the uh, signpost uncommons, is a, a nice way to just take a pick and say, well, if this doesn't work out, I'm willing to go down that lane, or I'm willing to ditch that lane. But if blue-black proliferate kind of the burn, you know, everything giving uh, poison counters, if that deck is open, getting the fourth pick Voidwing Hybrid is kind of a nice sign for that. Now, this isn't the draft that because we really, really do want to play Eternal Wanderer. So I'm going to take Basilica Shepherd here. So our first four picks, we end up with Eternal Wanderer, Skitterfang, Halberd, and Basilica Shepherd, and really nice start to the draft. And we'd be looking to end up white-red uh, from there. So that's just kind of my thought process. But I do think the fourth pick Voidwing Hybrid, that blue-black uncommon, is interesting and just in a different spot we might actually want to take that card and sort of see where it goes. So those are my kind of thoughts on the draft at this moment. And what we'll do is we'll jump right into our main topic. So, sealed. All will be one. How is it looking? Well, it is all the kind of worst parts of Phyrexia All Will Be One in draft uh, kind of mishmashed together. As we know, there are the rules of engagement in uh, this format in draft, you have to make sure you get on uh, board early. You have to make sure you're answering your opponent's, you know, bombs and curve outs and snowballs, having that early interaction. And obviously in sealed, you want to keep that in mind, um, but you have whatever's in front of you, right? You're not going to get to draft all the key interaction pieces and curve and everything that you'd be looking to do in draft because you just opened your six packs and you're stuck with what you've got. However, when you open your packs... Obviously, the format is all about bombs, and often that's going to help dictate kind of what colors you want to end up playing, especially as like maybe your main colors, uh, or if you see a bomb, can you splash it? These are the immediate questions you should be asking yourself. The best cards are so much better than everything else. You really don't want to leave those good cards on the sideline if you can help it. For example, my very first sealed I did in this format, I had a Kaya. Not only did I have Kaya, I had Rhea Evor being a Bladehold, the white-black 
uh, gold rare that has battle cry and helps you make mites. So I had two white black rares. Now, the white and black cards I had in my pool were solid, but not insane or anything. But I was able to put together kind of this toxic build that allowed me to kind of play for a longer game. I had some card draw and I was trying to just make sure my opponent didn't kill me. And then eventually I was going to be able to cast Kaya and win the game from there. And that deck actually did pretty well. And I think part of that is, I mean, it sounds obvious, but I mean, there were good cards in other colors. You know, I had like a Hex Gold Slash and a Volt Charge and some good red cards. But at the end of the day, if I'm able to play my best cards, that's going to be a whole lot better. And Sealed does give you the time to be able to find those cards much more often and the time to draw, you know, my seven lands to cast Kaya. Whereas in draft, oftentimes it's correct to go away from like a singular bomb and try to draft something that's synergistic and has a good curve and can interact with opponent. Like if we look at our example from the draft that we just did the first four picks, if white was completely cut and I couldn't play the Eternal Wanderer and other colors were like very clearly open, it might be a spot where I don't actually end up playing the Eternal Wanderer, even though I really, really want to prioritize that and try to make it work if at all possible. You know, every once in a while, maybe five to 10% of the time, I just can't make that work. Whereas in Sealed, like, you're going to be able to play your bombs as long as you really stretch for them and try to make that work because your bad cards in that color plus your bombs is probably going to be better than any other color unless you have just the most streamlined, efficient, best cards that you've ever opened in different colors. That would be the only time I would look to play something over my bombs. But even then, I think often is a mistake. I think you can kind of trick yourself into playing a less optimal build and think about like curve considerations like you would in draft, but trying to transplant that to sealed where it doesn't really work. For example, in the qualifier, I had Jinkataxius, uh, the blue Mythic Praetor, you know, seven mana bomb. And then I had Blue Sun's Twilight, the steal uh, your opponent's stuff. And if you paid uh, seven total mana or more, you get to copy it as well. So both of those really incentivized me to playing like this slow blue game, but I had really, really just a terrible curve in the blue red deck I ended up registering for the, the tournament. And I looked and in green, I had three of the evolving adaptive. That's the single green for the zero zero comes in with an oil counter. They function as plus one plus one counters and it grows when you play creatures with higher power or toughness. So I was really tempted to play like a green red deck instead. And I actually built that deck. And I played that deck a few times when I was on the play because the three evolving adaptives are just so good. The problem was the rest of my green cards really just weren't that good. I had to play some pretty big stinkers. Um, I had to play the 1-3 Death Touch, which is just an okay card. Um, I had to play Plague Nurse, which is a 3-4, just understated, but does work the evolving adaptive. And what ended up happening is... My opponent, because I wasn't able to truly pressure with curve outs with the Evolving Adaptive, was able to just stabilize long enough, and then their card quality ended up winning them the game. I played the green-red deck two times on the play, um, thinking that, okay, uh, this is a rough matchup for me. I'm going to try to get there with this green-red low-to-the-ground aggro deck. And, you know, it probably might have just been better to stick with the blue-red deck with the higher card quality, because while that deck was clunky and didn't have a great curve, my card power level, like my individual card power level, was just so much higher that it didn't revolve on any synergies. And I think that's what you want to be looking for, for the most part, in Sealed. So 
you know, it sounds like common logic to be looking to what rares did you open? You know, what are your signposts on commons for the gold color pairs and trying to use that to inform your decisions. However, I think it is actually like super key in this format because those cards are so much better because this format is really about, you know, rate and just what are you getting in terms of power, toughness, how the cards impact the board, removal, etc. I mean, the cards say that on the on their surface and a lot of the best rares, it's not that they're synergy driven. It's just that they give you a lot of rate for their cost. And that's really what you're looking for at the end of the day in sealed. In addition, because the format is a little bit slower and, you know, folks don't have control over what they open, you don't have to necessarily have a two drop or else just lose the game. You know, sometimes the decks come together where in even in sealed, your opponent might go like one drop, two drop, three drop, four drop like they do in draft. But it's so much rarer that you don't really have to plan around that. And your, your opponents are just going to win the games. They do that. But it's going to be such a small percentage of the time compared to draft that like you don't want to force yourself into a defensive spot to try to stop that from happening and just losing the games on average as they go longer. You know, fold to those starts, the extremely good starts, and just try to make sure maybe you have like a two or three drop. You're able to slow your opponent down. You're just trying to get on board and then just play your best cards. Because of that, you have a little bit more time to fix for your best cards as well. Like Prophetic Prism as a card, the two-mana artifact, when it comes in, you draw a card and it lets you filter mana. That card is just so much better in Sealed. Not only do you have the time to get that online, but the cards you're going to be splashing from across your pool, you're just going to be able to put a lot more good cards in your deck. So Prophetic Prism is a card I really don't want to play very often in draft to a card that I'm often actively looking for in my pool in sealed to allow me to play my best cards more consistently. Really, it's about stretching your mana as much as possible to play your cards at a reasonable point on the curve, you know, considering the games are going to have a little bit longer, you're going to have a little bit more time. The more card draw you have, the more, you know, mana fixing available to you, the more you're going to be able to stretch that mana base um, and be able to play the best possible cards. In addition, I think in this sealed format, the common and uncommon payoffs, those enablers, you kind of need the right mix in draft to be able to build these really synergistic draft decks. Like if we look at green, red oil, there's actually a pretty small subset of cards you want in that deck to build like the best oil decks. You know, you want to start with your cultivators on one, they're getting oil, your predation stewards on two that have oil. And kind of going up the curve that turns on your Urbrass Anointers, which, you know, ping things or deal two damage because at that point in the game you have some oil creatures curving into your Furnace Striders. So everything kind of just has oil and works together. And it's not that difficult to have like 8 to 12 things that have oil in your green-red decks in draft because you're specifically drafting that deck in that seat and other folks around you aren't interested in, uh, you know, green-red oil because they're drafting blue-white artifacts or some other thing. But if you open up your sealed pool, you might simply just have like five, maybe six things that get oil. And so the payoffs just aren't going to be that impressive. If you only have like one thing with oil in play, or, you know, maybe you have zero because you traded something off, your oil gorger trolls, your herbrass anointers, these things just get a lot worse. And so you kind of really want to be aware of that as you build your decks. You want to look for synergies, but... For the most part, cards that rely on other cards in this sealed format tend to just not really get there. Like, 
I want to be able to play my oil gorger troll and that one's a little bit more reasonable because you probably only need about you know six oil cards in your deck to actually put the oil gorger troll in and have you draw a card a reasonable amount of time but things like the herbrass anointer especially if you're hoping to deal like two damage it's just not going to happen in most sealed pools so you know be looking less about cards that rely on other cards to be better and try to look more for the things like you know your contagious vorax where they're always gonna do something right where they're always going to be looking for a land for you and while the proliferate is nice it's not really a core component of that card it's just trying to put stats on the board and attack your opponent going back to the point about the oil cards as well because oil isn't anything inherently it says what the card does on the text with the oil you sometimes get a mismatch of defensive oriented oil cards and offensive cards especially across like different colors like you know the blue ones tend to be really defensive the red ones tend to be really aggressive and in drafts sometimes you can control that where you can plan for all your cards to eventually work together and i might look at something like an Icker Synthesizer, which is the uh, one three for one and a blue. You put oil counters on it. When it gets four or more, it gets plus two plus so can't be blocked. That type of card, you can actually draft with that in mind as your two drop to help stabilize the board and eventually attack with it um, in draft. Whereas in sealed, either maybe you don't have enough of the non-creatures to support it, or your deck is looking to be more aggressive or more controlling than that card is offering. There's just a lot that can go wrong with that specifically. Um, and so again, it does rely on your other cards, but also that card in nature is very defensive, but also synergy driven. And when you combine that with something that tends to be maybe a little bit more on the aggressive front, something like the Urbrass Anointer, which wants to kind of clear the way and then start attacking with the 4-2, those two cards might just not work well together. Not only do they rely on other pieces, but they're just, there's some inherent friction. Another good example is... If we look at, you know, Furnace Strider and Oil Gorger Troll, well, some decks often want one or the other in draft because Furnace Strider is a very aggressive card um, and helps close games. Oil Gorger Troll is a pretty defensive card. And so while you can put those two in the same deck, often in draft, you'd prefer to be on one side or the other. Like green blue decks tend to be much more interested in the Oil Gorger Troll. Red green decks tend to be much more interested in the Furnace Strider. But in sealed, you're going to just have to play both. Now, they both probably get there on rate in sealed, but you're going to have to just kind of sculpt your game around, okay, well, I have this Oil Gorger Troll. I'm pretty mid-range with this. The Furnace Strider maybe can get some beats in, but they don't really work that well together. And so you're probably going to just have to play both because they're decent enough cards, um, but they have kind of some friction in there as well. So uh, the oil as, as an inherent strategy is just less focused. Now... Also, because things are a lot slower, some of the worst colors in draft get a lot better. I'm looking at blue and black specifically, these colors that are looking to kind of um, proliferate and apply toxic. Those cards, those colors actually get quite a bit better overall. A, because the games are going longer, so there's more time to set up some proliferate engines. And, and B, they're kind of focused on delivering the poison counters over time. And there's just a lot more poison kills that I've seen happen in sealed than I'm seeing in draft. And I think part of that is because proliferate, having time to do that and having just an abundance of the black card pool, having toxic or caring about toxic means that you're going to have just a lot more focused synergies 
in like blue and black versus maybe red and green than you would have in draft. And so because of that, I've seen a lot less red in a lot of the sealed pools be good and a lot more in the other colors because the synergies kind of play more in their specific lane. So like I think red and green and white, I think all the Naya colors, they get worse in sealed because they're really trying to focus on aggression and synergy, whereas blue and black are fine with a game going longer because you have things like Glistener Seer that helps scry to bombs and it's slow and defensive. And then, but then you also have, uh, you know, your your toxic creatures which poke in for a little bit of poison, and then you have like the gulping scrap trap that comes in, it proliferates, it leaves, it proliferates, and when a game goes longer, the proliferate is just going to be that much better, and oftentimes uh, the board will stall and uh, proliferate when your opponent's at like seven poison counters. You just have this giant inevitability clock. You might not even have to attack at that point, and you can win from there. So I've seen a lot of a lot more black green kind of like slow toxic inevitability like grindy plans be very effective and sealed versus draft. Um, now I know you know black green control grindy decks. These actually are on the rise on draft. Folks are figuring out how to uh, draft that. If you listen to Court of Calls uh, latest um, episode with Mark um, Anderson. Um, they kind of break down um, what that deck looks like. But you're kind of looking to do a similar thing in Sealed because it does exist more at Common and Uncommon than some of these other strategies. And so it might be something that you might think about um, when you're looking to open your Sealed pool. In addition, talking about how Blue and Black can play to the long game and, and really focus on sort of the toxic late game or proliferate late game, White and Red tend to lose a lot of ground in Sealed because... They want as many ones, twos, and threes as possible for a curve out plan to stop your opponent from even getting on board while you, you're just trying to get those toxic counters, but also just dealing damage early. But you just aren't going to open the critical mass of really aggressive, aggressive focus cards. Also, white has kind of the split mentality of kind of artifact support and aggression. And in draft, again, you can kind of choose which you're trying to build towards, but if you have to mix and match those pieces and you're also not having a critical mass of them, you're going to lose a lot of utility in white as a color overall. Like if you're mixing a duelist of deep faith and mandible just justiciar, where one is kind of an artifact aggro and one is a toxic aggro and putting them together because that just happens to be your two drops. Yeah, they're both good cards, but they're going to be less effective together in sealed. And you're going to just have to play them because your white deck wants two drops, but then your opponent's just going to play a 2-3, and, you know, you're not going to have that many artifacts for your mandible just this year, so the 2-3 is just going to brick it more uh, often than not. Um, your duelist of deep faith, um, you know, it's not going to be able to attack through as much because you're not going to have your, like, two to three complete devotions you'd like in an all-toxic white deck because you didn't open them. So, white and red for these reasons red is just looking to deal damage but the other colors have a lot more toxic to them so you're not able to just focus on the damage front oftentimes also you're going to open up like a sawblade scamp which is really aggressive but not uh the curve to back it up so then you don't even want to play it and then maybe you'll have like a blade graft aspirant you know the two three menace that's equipment themed but you won't have the equipment for it so these colors that are aggressive but synergistically aggressive 
really aren't going to come together very often unless you just happen to luck out and all the pieces fall together. Also, if you think about synergies from this perspective, red and white being a synergy aggro focus deck means that you really need to get on board early and start to get your synergies going with those synergy payoffs. So for example, like with the Bladegraft Aspirant, that curving into a five drop equipment on turn four is very effective, but requires you to be able to do that within the right amount of time. Whereas if you get that mana reduction, maybe on like turn six, seven, or eight, it's really not quite that impressive um, because you're trying to get ahead of the curve and keep the snowball going. And that's why that's such an effective combo in draft. Whereas if you have like one or maybe two equipment that the Bladegraft Aspirant can combo with and sealed, you might not actually draw those together or in a time where it actually matters. Whereas if you look at synergy driven slow strategies, the longer the game goes, the more time you have for those synergies to come together. That's why I mentioned proliferate with toxic or, you know, some random, maybe more defensively oriented uh, oil plans being a better use of synergy in the sealed format because they help enact a game plan that's going to work when the board eventually stalls or even when maybe you're being a little bit proactive and trying to generate a snowball. Whereas the aggressive windows are just so small within the scope of a sealed game that more often than not, they're just going to fail rather than succeed. So that's why defensive-oriented, uh, slower synergy-driven strategies are just going to be that much more effective in sealed compared to the aggressive ones. Now, if the stars align... You have, you know, a pool that just has a lot of white and red aggressive cards and you open up your Bladehold War Whip. Yeah, go for it. Like build that white red aggro deck. That's going to be fantastic. But in my experience, both building decks and playing against decks, I just don't see that really aggressive plan work out. And so it's much better to have the baseline understanding that you're not trying to build these really aggressive decks because the card quality is just not going to be there to win enough of the time. Now, if you do have a strategy for having a deck that has aggressive starts but can continue to kind of attack in the late game um, with ways to kind of push through damage, or you happen to have some, you know, go wide pump spells and you actually have a critical density of creatures to support that, or you have a couple hazardous blasts like in a red green build and you know the board's going to stall out and you have that plan sort of like in draft itself, then you can actually build with more aggression in mind but most of the time you're going to only have like maybe three or four two drops and so you're just not going to be on board consistently to get the damage rolling to be able to stop your opponent now you do still want to play those three or four two drops but your plan is less i'm going to play these and curve out and kill my opponent with them versus maybe i'll get some chip damage with them or maybe i'm going to block my opponent's creatures and then i'm trying to eventually draw into my good bombs or, you know, just my high-statted creatures. Like, Furnace Strider is kind of the MVP of Sealed in the sense that it helps continue to snowball, right? You have this four or five giant body. It gets in there. It's hasty. It's going to haste your next thing. Um, it has a lot of stats. It's hard to block. It requires no synergy, really. That's the type of card you want to be looking for in your decks to include to help close games um, and turn the corner. Um, you still kind of want that mentality of, I want to stop my opponent snowballing, and then I would like to snowball myself. But there's just fewer snowballs that are going to happen in sealed versus draft here because the synergies and the two drops just aren't there.
at the end of the day. And so when you open your pool, again, look to the bombs, look to the golden commons. What fixing do you have? Can you just play all your best cards? Now, you, you do still want to play a base two-color pair, but sometimes if that's a green base, you're able to splash a lot easier. Do you happen to have, you know, Terramorphic Expanse or Thirsting Roots to help splash in a couple different colors? I think usually like two two color deck plus a splash for a bomb or two is a pretty expected place to be in the format. I have seen a decent number of sealed decks that have been kind of base two colors, but splashing up to two colors, like maybe like a red green base, but that splashes white for a blade hold war whip. Um, and then maybe blue for maybe some green blue late game uh you know, proliferate payoffs, something like that. Or maybe you're looking to splash Ovika Enigma Goliath, that seven mana, six, six flying rare and blue red. So you can see like if you have a prophetic prism or two and a couple ways to fix with Terramorphic Expanse or Thirsting Roots, it wouldn't be that hard to splash both a white card and a blue card in a core red green deck that again, maybe has a few oil cards, but is really just looking to play like the Cinder Slash Ravager that was open because it's a good card and playing your Predation Stewards because you can play them early and maybe they're able to support some attacks later. And yeah, there's some oil, but you're not really looking to that aspect of the card. And you're playing your Barb Batterfist because it's a good card, but it doesn't really do anything with your deck other than add some power and toughness. If you just think of this as kind of a core set, that you're trying to have maybe some synergies if you open them, but more pockets of synergies, um, and then splashing for rate with your rares that you've opened, you're going to do a lot better. The one exception, as I mentioned, is that I think with Toxic and Proliferate, you can have a critical mass, especially if your rares happen to be in those colors, right? If you opened a Glissa and it's green-black, that's a great card, and it's going to be fantastic on rate alone, but if you have enough other cards that care about Toxic and Proliferate. Some games you're going to just play your Glissa and have a great time because you, you happen to cast that powerful magic card. Other games, you're going to maybe have your 3-2 Toxic creatures and your 1-5 Toxic creatures and things have Toxic. And then you have some Proliferators. And yeah, you play your Contagious Borak that's there just on rate, but maybe sometimes you Proliferate with it. And you, you happen to include a Copper Longlegs, the 1-3 Spider that... You're playing it for early blocks, but then maybe late in the game, the proliferate adds up. And so there is some more inherent synergy just because more of the commons kind of point in that direction and all kind of work together. And, you know, Copper Longlegs, I think that's a perfect example where it's something that you can shore up the ground early. And really, that's the main reason you're playing it. But if the proliferate happens to be good at some point in the game, then awesome. But you're not really putting it in, in your deck with that in mind, where I keep going back to the example of Herb, and Goiter because it kind of shows the difference between Sealed and Draft. You can't really ever expect to put that card in your deck in Sealed unless something's really going well, because with that card, your whole plan of it is to have the oil on board so you're able to, to play your Anointer and pick off your opponent's threats. Yeah, that's going to work in Draft, but it's just really not going to work in Sealed most of the time. Copper Longlegs, eh, you're playing it, you know... You didn't have really, you had one or two other two drops. You, you need to put something into play. And if your opponent happens to be making the mistake of putting a bunch of two twos in their deck trying to attack you, then you need the long legs to stop that plan. And then, well, maybe later in the game, um, it can stop some flyers as well, some two toughness, some two power flyers. 
and maybe you're going to proliferate with it. And it just does enough. Maybe even board it out if it's uh, not needed in the matchup. So I think it's just like a different mentality shift that you're looking to play to that later game. Um, whereas that's not really a good plan in draft because the synergies can overpower that card so easily at common in draft and it just isn't really going to happen. You're not going to get punished as much in sealed putting a card like that in your deck. In fact, I think a good example of this is that these boards do stall out and you do happen to have a lot of time and just little engines or little pockets of synergy can kind of go a long way when they do come together. Um, for example, in one of my sealeds, I had Conduit of Worlds. It's the two green green artifact at rare. It lets you play lands from your graveyard and you can tap it to play a card, a permanent from your graveyard, as long as it's the only spell you cast that turn. So I actually had Conduit of Worlds and Copper Longlegs, and my opponent got, you know, their first poison counter. And I actually poisoned them for six turns in a row with Copper Longlegs and Conduit of Worlds and happened to deal a couple last proliferate damage via other means. And like casting a Copper Longlegs is your only spell and proliferating with it six turns in a row is just not really a reasonable plan in draft. But I thought, look, the format is slower. Condo Worlds, I think, is just going to be a pretty decent card. Uh, things will trade off, and I'll have this inevitability. And I wasn't even really building with like this plan in mind, but both cards came together. Nothing was really happening in the game, and I was able to just win this board stall with this really slow, clunky combo just because I wasn't trying to out-aggro my opponent. And, you know, th my opponent wasn't really trying to out-aggro me either, but they were just playing good cards, and I was, I, other than these, I was just playing good creatures that had good, you know, power and toughness, and this was able to just take over the longer game. So I think as long as you understand that the board often will stall, um, unless you're able to snowball, and obviously take advantage of that if it happens, but don't build with that in mind. Look to, look to splash, look to play your best cards, um, try to play, you know, counter spells and, um, ways to interact with your opponent's bombs when they come up. Um, these types of slower effects are going to be a lot better because you are just going to face down the Eternal Wanderer and Kaya and, you know, all the uh, Dominuses the, that get indestructible and just all these types of things. But, you know, play your interaction. Um, obviously, you can't control how much you open, but if you open up some interaction and some bombs, it's worth trying to really stretch your mana base to make it work versus having like a perfect mana base and not playing your best cards like in draft it's pretty unacceptable to play you know six sources of a secondary color but in sealed if the cards are good enough and you know you're playing you know maybe eight sources of your main color six of your second color and then a few sources of like a third color because you need to splash it's not ideal, but as long as your main color, you have enough cards in that to kind of keep you alive while you try to find your sources of your other colors, that is a better strategy than playing a 9-8 mana base with just bad cards because you, your bad cards just aren't going to get there often enough. So consistency in card quality is like a, a bad consistent card quality that you always get to enact is worse than a little bit sketchier mana base that lets you play more powerful cards overall um now you can take it to extreme i wouldn't say you know play four colors and play you know four of each color as your land base like that's not going to work out 
but you can get away with a little bit more. And obviously, sometimes the, the fixing is there so that you're able to have really good mana and your bombs. Fantastic. Obviously, that's the best of both worlds. Some pools don't need to splash. Like I mentioned the white-black deck earlier uh, where I opened up Kaya and I had the Rhea Eivor. It was just a white-black deck and I had enough cards in that color combination. I was lucky. Sometimes you have a two-color streamlined deck that ha happens to have bombs in it. That's the absolute best and you should be looking for that if it happens but if oftentimes that's not going to happen so just kind of expect you're probably going to be two colors in the splash know that it's high variance and the nice the nice thing about the open you get as many rebuys as you want right um at the end of the day you get to control how many you know barrels you want to fire uh in the open to try to make day two as long as you're having fun and it's you know financially reasonable you know and you're having fun you know play four or five of them it's fine that's always my advice. If you stop having fun, you know, qualifying at some point is not worth it. So, you know, with this in mind, really take your time in the deck build too. I think because there's infinite rebuys, sometimes you can kind of rush through the sealed deck building portion. Really look for how many synergies do I realistically have? What are my good cards? What's my fixing? And think about those flex slots and sort of envision what the games are going to look like. Are you able to stop your opponent from snowballing on you on turns two or three? If you're able to do that, awesome. Then what's your plan for the board stall, right? Do you just have enough big creatures that you're able to punch through? Um, I've also found combat tricks to be surprisingly effective because what happens is the board does stall out and you're able to maybe attack with like a 3-3 three, three and a 4-5 and your opponent has similar stats of cards so they're going to want to block in a way that they don't get snowballed. And then your combat trick suddenly helps clear the board and the board stall empties out. And so the combat tricks are a way to go over the top of your opponent. Also, there's not that much instant speed uh, interaction in this format. So you get blown out a little bit less often. And because specifically, as I was mentioning, red is a bit worse, hex gold slash is less prevalent because of that. So you can actually kind of play the clunkier, bigger, chunkier, toxic creatures more often just because red is worse. Like I mentioned, um, you know, Plague Nurse in general is a terrible magic card, the 3-4 four for 4 in green. But in Sealed, the card is a little bit better because its natural, you know, Predator is Hex Gold Slash. And if you're not going to see quite as many of those because pools don't support that as often, then like when your opponent is playing red, they probably do have the Hex Gold Slash because... Uh, they happen to open that. So they happen to open a pool that is conducive to that strategy. Um, and they had enough, you know, good aggression or good enough stats. So I think the, the red decks that should be played in sealed are actually going to be really, really good. So respect that when your opponent is playing it. But I think it's less correct to play red uh, in sealed as compared to draft just for that reason. Because it just doesn't synergize with the other colors at all. Which is its strength in draft, but its weakness in sealed. So uh, I know a little bit of a shorter episode today, but uh, sealed is a tricky topic to talk about and get right. Hopefully there's some actionable advice that you can take into this, into your uh, sealed. If you're playing in the open, most of all, you know, have fun with it. And I'd uh, love to hear how it's going in the Discord. I know folks also do like what's the builds and help each other with that, with the arena opens, like. If you have a question of like, I don't know if deck A or deck B is better, that way, you know, you're like, well, I think I have enough aggressive pieces for this. It really does shine, but I do have these couple bombs in different color. And if it's on the borderline, you can make that decision yourself, but you can also outsource 
that information to and try and get feedback uh, from it. So uh, that's all I have for you today. And I've enjoyed talking about sealed, but again, something I don't talk about too often, maybe more as like general advice. There's a lot of the general advice here, but specifically the format as well. So I hope you find it useful. Let me know what you think of this particular episode. And I could do, you know, more, I could keep doing a sealed episode in the future as it comes up, or uh, we could also just always stay the course uh, with draft advice if you're not interested in sealed or it just wasn't that useful to you. So I'd love to hear your feedback. And I'd also love, I also want to thank uh, Adaptier and above patron Marius uh, before we go and for everyone else. Thanks for listening and see you next time on the 40 Card College podcast.